Today's program was brought to you by the Brooklyn Kitchen, a mom-and-pop operation since 2006. They provide the tools that shape our food culture. Visit them at 100 Frost Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, or visit thebrooklynkitchen.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Fermentabout About it. it on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. My name is Chris Kuzmi. And I'm Mary Izette, and we're your co-host of Fermentabout About It, which you can hear live every Monday evening at 7 p.m. on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Or archived at the same website and on iTunes. Today in the studio, we're going to talk about cider. Uh, I, so when people ask me how long I've been brewing, usually I say 2001, but... I you recently remembered and reminded. I had a terrible flashback the other day while drinking something very interesting. I actually first beer or the first thing I ever fermented was cider. I went to a boarding <laughs> arts high school at, in Interlochen, Michigan, and uh, you know we couldn't you know couldn't get stuff at the stores. I ended up going to a farmer's market, getting a, a jug of cider, and then we spit in it, threw it in the closet, <laughs> and a few weeks later we had cider. Mm. Don't do that. <laughs> but it's fun. Anyway, we How, have... What did that taste like? Uh, did it, it, did it ferment it? I didn't... You know, I wasn't an experienced cider drinker at the time. I don't... You know, and it was drinkable. It was drinkable. It, it, you know, the point was not really the flavor at that, yes. at that time, you know? <laughs> it was like, uh, you know, music got us far, but, but you know, that fermented beverage got us further sometimes. <laughs> you know. Anyway, we're here in the studio with two of our really, really good friends and, uh, and cider makers, uh, uh, Chris Prout and Ben Carr. Hello. Hi. Welcome Hi. to the show. Thank you. Thank so, you very much. So we had a very good experience. I made cider the first time a couple of years ago, um, just a few small batches. Um, and I did some unusual yeast treatments. I think I did a champagne yeast. Um, I did a a friend of mine had done an Orval clone, so I used. He gave me some of his drugs, so I used that, um, and it, so I made three different style or three different types. And then I um, cultured. Wait, I used wild. Oh, I know what I did. I got an organic apple from the green market, um, peeled it, and then cultured. Put that into some organic apple cider, fresh from the green market, and cultured some wild yeast off of that, basically. And then use, you know, made a starter with this organic apple peel and and cider, and then put that into my cider. So another one was like a wild, you know, spontaneously fermented cider, um, and those actually turned out pretty nice. I I kept them around for a while. The champagne was definitely the cleanest. The Orval clone kind of got this that weird like stinky feet thing going on that mm-hmm. you get in some sours <laughs> eventually, uh, but they were interesting and they're all very drinkable. And then Chris and I just did um, a cider experiment that we started last fall. We just tasted those, so we did five different one. We actually we just got one gallon jugs of a nice fresh pressed organic cider from um, West. Where was it? Westchester County. It's definitely Westchester County, but the name is totally escaping me. Yep. Anyway, we got <clears throat> those fresh. We went, went up there early one Saturday morning. And um, we did five different yeast treatments. So we did one spontaneously, so no no, cham- no no yeast added. Champagne yeast, we did a White Labs cider yeast, Y yeast cider yeast, and then this MA33, which is a wine yeast that I had read about in a cider book that I downloaded recently. And then we did four two-and-a-half-gallon carboys, the smaller, yes. better bottles. I think we're bottles. getting way ahead of ourselves for the moment. I know, but I'm just saying this. So we, this is <laughs> yeah, what we've been playing absolutely. with. So, you know, we're our interest is, is kind of peaked now. And we were very 
fortunate to join Chris in his backyard in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, for a cider pressing day. That was late last fall, right? I don't even remember what day that was. I think it was in November. Yeah, and so we had a ton of fun doing that. So anyway, here we are finally in March talking about cider with Chris and Ben. Um, and anyway, I'm very excited. And we so, know you guys through one of our local homebrew clubs, uh, the Brooklyn Bruisers, uh, which you guys are active members of. When, does, when do they meet? The first Monday of every month. First Monday of every month. Yeah. Where? At Browery Lane. At Browery yeah, Lane. So if you're in New York and you want to join an yeah, awesome come on down. club, come on down. Yeah, we always have to, we always come late. We never, you know, because we have the show at 7 on the same Monday, but we have, we ha- try to head there afterward always. It's always a good time. You guys have a lot of good brewers in your group, a lot of people making interesting stuff. So yeah, we welcome all skill sets. I mean, anybody that hasn't made beer before is welcome. Anybody that's made beer for years is welcome. So we like to bring everybody into the conversation. Yeah. Speaking of conversation, you guys have been having conversations about beer for so long. Why cider and when did you get into it and, and how, what? What's going on? What so this so when we met you or sorry when we when we hung out for that cider day, uh, tell us about that cider day. Okay. Give us a recap and how yeah. it started. <laughs> with the, it was nuts. It was awesome. Yeah, in my backyard in my in my apartment in Brook, uh, Brooklyn, Greenpoint, we uh, we had our second cider pressing party. Uh, I guess it was about eight bushels of apples that we pressed. Uh, something did go wrong. The press ended up breaking <laughs> at that cider pressing party, but. We had the help of, of some new good friends that we met uh, through Mary and Chris uh, the next week to finally get all the apples pressed. And, uh, yeah, that, my, my experience is, you know, this is my second season, really. And, and when you press apples, you have, you have to be, you know, you don't get apples all year. You get them in the fall when they're, when they're ripe and ready. And uh, you're sort of, you know, that, that's when you press them. Right. Yeah. So you have, Chris has this wonderful, I think it's a wonderful setup, especially considering, I mean, you live in an apartment, you have a great backyard and you have a shed, so you have some storage space, which not everybody has here in New York City, but um, you have had constructed, you took like a table that's on wheels, like a stainless steel base Mm -hmm. table with a wood top, you cut Mm -hmm. out and you installed a garbage disposal in the middle, Mm -hmm. and then you have that feeding into your press, right? Right. A cider press, which you also purchased, I mean, it's a hand crank, old school, traditional cider press. It is. It's, I think it's uh, described as a basket press. Okay. And we have uh, the garbage disposal. It is. It's it's mounted on a table, and it's it's positioned so that it shoots right into the hopper of the press. And then uh, once you you press your apples, you you macerate them. It's ready to be pressed through, through the basket press, and then goes right into the fermenter. The garbage disposal is absolutely key, by the way. And learn that to after two years them, of not right? using them. Yeah. I mean, basically, if you're doing that by hand with a food mill, it takes hours longer, and it's a lot more manual labor. The garbage disposal kind of automates the whole thing, um, and it gets you a lot more juice out of the apples, mm-hmm. too, and you end up getting a much higher yield per bushel with the garbage disposal. Let's go back just one real quick second. So, so I mean, if you're going to make cider at home, you don't have to go through that entire process. The ba- very basics of making cider is what? But spit and spit yeah. in a jug of... <laughs> <laughs> spit and apples. Yeah. Spit, and apple, spit and apple juice. <laughs> right. You, no. can, you can buy pressed cider just as easily from a, from a green market. There's a lot of options in the city. Um, if you don't even need to go to a farm, I guess. Um, I get a sort, of, a sort of a joy out of crushing them and doing the whole, the whole nine yards. But uh, really all you need is to take apple cider, um, hopefully 100% unpasteurized apple cider, and add some kind of yeast or culture some kind of yeast from an apple. Um, and then, you know, wait a few weeks and then you've got some hard cider. So, uh, but like Welch's apple juice or like, you know, commercial apple juice that is like from concentrate, would that work? I've never tried it. I got a feeling it wouldn't <laughs> work out too well. I think it would probably work, but the quality of your product would 
would be very different yeah. than using a fresh the fresher, the fresher press, the better, basically. Yeah, uh, and the more it kind of tastes like you're running into an apple. Okay, so so yeast, fresh pressed apple juice, uh, hopefully hopefully uh, uh, non pasteurized. Well, but you can do pasteurized. Or you can get like because now I think some people UV pasteurize, which is a light pasteurization. Sure. I think that's the minimal for New York State standards. And I think I mean I've used that type of apple cider to make hard cider with and, and had very good results. I think you don't want to you know you want to try to stay away from some hardcore pasteurization. Right. I think the uh, the cider apples that that we're using are different than the apples that, no, that Welch is making. Yeah. The, the first part of the process for me is, is selecting the apples, and that's you know finding apples that, you, that aren't necessarily good for eating, but they're good for cider. So they have some tannins, and they have you know a high sugar content. So you source those apples, and or did you order them, or how did you go about you know, getting I, them? I called around uh, upstate different orchards, and uh, I finally uh, found one. And, and developed a relationship with them. Good folks up at, at Soon's Orchard. Jeff's a great guy, and they're thinking about making cider in the future. Uh, they don't do it right now, but they're uh, they're looking forward to to maybe producing some cider themselves. Cool. Yeah. And I, well, one thing I think about when we went over to Chris, it was great because he had a party. So we, you know, a bunch of us showed up. I don't. I think it was like eight thirty or nine, nine thirty in the morning. It's kind of early for a yeah. Saturday, Sunday morning. It's, and like, it's like a brew day. You know, you want to get yeah. early start. And, you know, everybody pitched in. Like, there were two people chopping apples. There were two people feeding it into the disposal. There were people working the mill. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was a great group activity. Once the press broke, I have pictures of you standing inside <laughs> yes. the press and trying to use your body yeah. weight to do it, which just doesn't work as well. You don't yield as much, apparently. Yeah, you have to make a party out of it. Because yeah. if, you, if you have two people to get through eight bushels of apples, it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work, and... and to get people involved and have a good time doing it is, is what it's about. Yeah. I think that, I mean, it was a ton of fun. I think that's a great thing for other homebrew groups around the country to do or just, you know, groups of friends or whatever. Um, especially if you have, even if you don't have access, if you don't want to go the whole nine yards, you just want to start with the cider apples. I think it's a, still a good excuse to have a party. Um, one thing when Chris and I, so the juice that we got was mostly Macintosh, which isn't, doesn't have as much character. Yeah, you no, know, it's not a traditional Macintosh. cider. Um, mm-hmm. You wouldn't get as much character in your resulting cider as, something like uh, from Chris as Chris Pratt's sure. um, apples Northern will Spy. give. But that's why we chose to do these yeast experiments because we figured, well, if, you know, if we're not going to get as much apple character, we'll it's a good do baseline. a little, yeah. yeah, we'll do a little, you know, experiments with the yeast instead. So I think that's another, you know, um, direction that you can take. So there's mm. a lot of things, you know, don't think so narrow-minded. You don't necessarily, you can, pre- you know, juice and press your own apples. You can also start with the, the natural cider. So there's a lot of options here. Can you hop cider? I have done it before with wet hops. Yeah, uh, you, need, you need to add a lot to yeah. uh, to really have that flavor come across. But you can get some aroma pretty easily. Um, I think it's a great. It's a really nice ca- like cascade wet hopping with uh, cider is a really nice combination. Ooh, that, that sounds, sounds good. <laughs> that sounds really fun too. Yeah. So, Chris, what inspired you in the first place to get this whole setup? You know, there, there was a fellow that came in the beer store where I work, um, and and he was an English fella and he, he would talk about the scrumpies in England all the time mm-hmm. and how we need to uh, investigate making cider there and that's that's pretty much my start you know this is, this is like I said this is the second season the first season you know I did a couple of wild fermentations uh, one with Britannomyces and then uh, another with English cider yeast so I had four different fermentations and they're uh, they're blended in this bottle that I brought awesome I want to bring some out so blending at that end when you, so you 
when we were talking also that day, you had those, you had different kinds of apples, and you were doing single varieties, and then mm-hmm. you blend them at, you blend them at the end based on where you want your sure. From, from what I understand, when you when you select an apple, depending on the season that that the tree has, you, you don't know what you're going to get. Even from year to year, if you have a certain variety of apple, you don't know what if it's going to be high sugar content mm-hmm. or high tannin just because of the the spring that it has or a late frost, you know. It, it could be totally different. So I think what a lot of cider makers do, the, the pros, they uh, they blend to taste because what you get after fermentation is not going to be the same year to year just because of the season. Right. And so you, you you know you taste the ciders that you have and you try to blend them together to make something that's delicious. You know it's it's good to drink. And what was your approach to blending when you blended the cider that you brought today? I th- I think it was. Finding a balance, you know, not you know nothing too acidic, mm-hmm. and I think with the second season, which I have as well, it's it's uh, yeah, I, have, I have more acidity that I want, and I have to figure out a way to to balance that. Whether it's you know conditioning further, or maybe bottle conditioning with the, with the botanomyces, or you know to give it a different layer. Cool. Or yeah, cider is one of those things that really changes quite a bit with time too. I mean, flavors mm-hmm. really develop over the course of a year. You can really see a lot of change. And uh, if you don't like something, some, sometimes you can sort of put it in a cold place for a little while. Especially if, speaking personally, I bottle condition everything, so uh, time is really a huge factor uh, in, in what, you're, what you're getting out of the product. Yeah, so let's, I mean, we'd love to try okay. Chris Prout's The Splendid Cider. All right. so, ben, you, you grew up with apples, right? Yeah, to a certain extent. Uh, my, uh, I've got some family that live upstate, so uh, we always used to, we grow a lot of apples up there, and uh, we always used to make applesauce in the fall, and... Um, we got our hands on a cider press a few years ago and made a sort of a batch of uh, virgin cider. And I took two gallons of it and uh, added some yeast because that was right after I started home brewing. And then now I'm at a point where I'm making about 12 gallons every fall, just, you know, special sort of uh, weekend where I'm just doing that as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, balancing it with brewing or something like that. Um, so, yeah, we, but, we, but growing up we always made these sort of like, you know, a- applesauce or, or at the most like an apple pie or something, but never uh, nothing alcoholic. <laughs> When we were doing when we were doing the the Sunday at Chris's, we were being very careful to get to not use any of the brown parts of the apple. Now, <clears throat> I know that in England and overseas, it's not necessarily uh, that much of a concern. And, and uh, you know, yeah. friends who have visited places over there, uh, what is? I mean, what do you, what do you think about that? And th- and how does that apply to applesauce? Come yeah, since we're here. Well, with uh, with in terms of brown spots, um, I've, I've recently been reading a. A couple of different sources that say that uh, the English style, I guess, is to pick them, right. let, let them sit on the ground for about mm-hmm. you know three or four weeks, covered in a tarp, mm-hmm. and then they start to slowly uh, ferment, really, inside of the inside of their skins to soften up, and you bring up some more natural sugar that way, and then you you know chop them up and press them or whatever. So I did that this year with about half of the batch, um, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't the full batch, I think. Sure. This sort of true English style would be to pick everything and just let it sit on the orchard floor someplace, and you know cover it with some kind of blanket so it doesn't get too exposed to the elements but but they're really letting them rot a little bit before right. you press them which is a totally uh novel idea to me <laughs> yes. i think it's pretty awesome yeah they're pretty fun did it i mean have you tasted that did it work out i don't know i've never i've never tried with the full the full with batch the full. But yeah but with with letting it sit on the ground a little bit longer it does improve it uh, i thought yeah. it made it much less sour oh, interesting um, well we're gonna take a break and we're gonna come back and talk about back sweeten and uh, all sorts of other fun cider stuff thanks for listening to fomenta about it
mom and pop operation since 2006, the Brooklyn Kitchen provides the tools that shape our food culture. They stock a curated variety of pots, pans, knives, small appliances, and other kitchen essentials. Their grocery department works closely with local farms and food artisans to bring you the tastiest fresh produce, dairy, and pantry items. Their teaching kitchens allow them to offer a wide breadth of cooking classes. From knife skills to pig butchering, from cooking for couples to pickling and canning, from home brewing to pie making, something new is always happening at the Brooklyn Kitchen. Visit them at 100 Frost Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, or visit thebrooklynkitchen.com. Speaking of Brooklyn Kitchen, welcome back to Ferment About It. Uh, Mary, you are going to be a teaching homebrew classes at Brooklyn Kitchen soon. Is that not the truth? That's what it's looking like. Right. Yes, That's it's going to happen. So if you want to come hang with Mary, learn how to homebrew one-on-one. Well, it's not one. Well, you know, 50-on-one. Sounds dirty, actually. I'm just not even sure how I feel about this anymore. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> You're not allowed. Don't go there, Mary. We'll have more <laughs> updates on that in future shows. Back, back to cider. So we just cracked open Chris Proud's um, bottle of blended, this blended from this is from two years ago, you said, correct? This, this is uh, pressed in 2011. It, so it's uh, then it was Northern Spy and Stamen Wine Sap varieties as well as some unidentified Catskill apples. Uh, two, two of the fermentations were natural fermentations, and one was with Britannomyces uh, brusculensis, the, the bee strain, and one was with uh, English cider yeast, the White Labs English cider yeast. So uh. there's, there's all four of these. In this in this cider here. Now, how long did the did you let these for primarily ferment? Uh, I would say approximately. It, yeah. it, it maybe like four or five months. Okay. Well, I mean, primary it, it zips through the yeast, the sugars immediately. I mean, it's but the conditioning time you need to you need to wait on a little bit because the sulfur sort of dissipates okay. after a while. So after primary, did you rack these into sec- actual secondary? No, no you just, just left, left them, right? Left them right on the primary, yeah. Okay. So four to five months, and you then you blended to your liking? Blended. Uh, I did back, back sweeten with, with uh, regular table sugar. What's back sweetening? Yeah. And so so typically ciders or uh, cider apples or fruit in general have a lot of simple sugars, and, and the simple sugars are very fermentable by any type of yeast. So what you have is a very dry uh, beverage, and the acidity in, in apples can be a little bit overwhelming. So if, if you have a dry, acidic beverage, it it's, might not taste good. And so what you, what you would do is, is back-sweeten to round out the acidity and give it a little bit more complexity. Back-sweetening uh, with what? So you said you use table sugar. So did you heat it? Did you like boil it like you would a primary yeah, sugar, basically? I, I put it in a solution. You know, put it on the stove top. Made a simple syrup, 
I brought it up to a boil so so it's sanitized, and then add it into the uh, a keg that I blended, a 15-gallon keg that I blended all the five-gallon batches into okay. proportionally. And then did you let that sit for a while, or did you... Fart? I did. I rolled it around and make sure it was in a uh, solution, and, and it got mixed up, and... And I, I poured, a, you know, I bottled a couple of them after that, and this is this is the result of that. Yeah, actually. this is delicious. So it's very, I mean, this is I judged ciders actually at a homebrew competition recently, but this is delicious. I think it's I would call it petalant because it's not flat. Mm-mm. It's not definitely not sparkling, but um, it's got a nice level of carbonation. It's very balanced, decent amount of acidity, mm-hmm. some tannins. But is a flat cider ever appropriate? Yes, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. I had a cask cider during Cider Week that was practically flat. It was, uh, I think, it was from Crispin. Maybe, but uh, anyway, it was yeah, it was it was almost room temperature. It was you know cask temperature, um, and it was barely discernible that it had any carbonation at all. And I liked it a lot. I mean, it was it was really mm-hmm. refreshing. Have you guys ever made any any uh, uh, apple wine from any pressings? Or, no, not yet. Maybe ice ice wine, apple ice wine, or anything. I could have. Yeah. Ice in, cider. Yeah. Ice in, cider. In my, that's that, yeah, in my shed this year, it got pretty cold this winter. There was a, there was a cold snap, and my my kegs froze in my. Uh, shed and one of them was a cider keg and I thought well should I just decan <laughs> off the ice and just have some ice cider but I didn't I just thawed it back out these uh, these two ciders have very different uh, mm-hmm. flavor profiles and it's pretty pretty fun do you think that the this funkiness is from having laid those apples now yeah so what is it? yeah so yeah. Ben just us poured us his one of his ciders that he brought so we will say the, the bottle was a gusher yeah it was definitely a gusher <laughs> <laughs> so Ben does a lot of bottle conditioning of your cider and you say you're still learning about that it's tricky because yeah. why is it tricky well this one i mean i should also say it might have gushed because i just uh hoofed it over from work yeah so might, <laughs> that might have been shaken up um it's it's tricky in the sense that when you're bottle conditioning you're, you're depending on the, the fermenting yeast is going to stay in the bottle but you're just going to add a little more sugar in right before you bottle to basically provide some carbonation um Usually, when you're fermenting, all that gas escapes. But when you, after you put the cap on it, it traps the, the uh, gas into the solution, and you get carbonation that way. Um, so obviously, when you're back sweetening in the in the sort of uh, traditional sense, you're going to add some sugar. But in order to do that, you have to remove the yeast so that the yeast won't eat that sugar. Right. Um, so it's hard to remove the yeast when you need the yeast to to carbonate. Um, but with these, with this, with this cider, what I've done is I. Uh, in order to carbonate it, instead of adding like priming sugar or something like that, where you're trying to have a no flavor profile, this is with uh, just some raw honey instead. So mm. it gives it a little bit of a of a, of a different flavor, um, which I liked a lot. And that's something I'm still experimenting with every year. Different batches, I'll uh, I'll carbonate with different uh, types of priming sugar. So this was with honey. I also did some with um, uh, maple uh, sugar this right, year. Right? Yeah. Um, I think I had that at one of the meetings, maybe. Right. So. Have you, yeah, usually I try to have them side by side to see how they're changing. Um, and I've also done it with uh, unfermented cider, which is a great, great, uh, you know, result that way. But it's hard to, it's hard for me to do that because, like Chris was saying, it's like you, you kind of press your your apples at one point, and then you have tons of cider on your hands. It's right. not like you can necessarily uh, press some and then have some on hand a month down the road. To, now, yeah, I did you know. read recently that some people recommend um, if you're going to back sweeten when you do the pressing. You save some of that juice and freeze it, and then once you're done with your primary fermentation, or you know, once you're done with your primary or conditioning or whatever, and you're ready to uh-huh. back sweeten, hmm. then you thaw out a little bit of that yeah. cider, and that that's what you use to back sweeten. So that, yeah, um, this freezing. is delicious. So, um, Ben, these are very different ciders. They're both delicious. I think Ben, yours is a little more tart. It does oh, have sure, some, yeah. mm-hmm. like you know, 
Well, this is not, not that sweet at all. Yeah, it's not okay, yeah. and definitely acidic, but also very good. So, what uh, what varieties of apples did you use with this? These are mostly Macs, uh, Macintosh, uh, and also uh, there was there's a couple of Northern Spy thrown in, but um, this is really kind of dependent on what we get every year uh, mm-hmm. at my family's place. So this was. Uh, this year was good. For, was better for Max than it was for Northern Spy. Uh, I think Northern Spy are a better cider apple, but this was kind of what we had to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is all champagne yeast, um, so it's really you know, it's, it's three ingredients really. Now, and you said you back sweetened this with? No, this is not back sweetened. Oh, not at all. Ba- oh yeah, yeah. Okay, you just primed it with reg it with sugar. Uh, no, with with honey. With honey. Yeah. That's right. Okay. With just sort of raw honey. Um, I think it was two thirds of a cup for five for each five gallons. Yeah. So I've not, we haven't, I haven't personally made very much cider. The, the, I mean, the biggest experience coming to mind right now is the little, little experiment that we did. And when you're talking about how, uh, Kristen, you were saying you left st- stuff sit for four to five months. You know, ours sat for about four to five months, but I think it was a little bit too much, and, uh, and probably in conditions that were, were less than ideal. What temperature or I what conditions would you want to get? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, okay. Well, so we did a tasting. <laughs> Yeah, because we did a tasting, and we do have a couple. I mean, we have we did a tasting of all nine of them. Um, I took notes here, and a few of them we do have. I don't know if we maybe got a some acetobacter, but they have a slight acetone. But like Ben, I mean, like Ben and Chris both said, if we condition them and blend, yeah, and blend, we'll I think we'll be fine. Time. So we'll plug in that third no, cooler, just, yeah. and we'll get those <laughs> well, conditioning. Well, it's key, all right? going to work. So what? So what uh, well, that's key too, though. <laughs> keeping it at a, at a, at a, at a, at a temp, you know temperate. Temperature, or, or, right. And what? If, if you have a lower temperature of fermentation, you you definitely give your yeast the chance to to work as opposed to wild yeast that, that yeah. maybe aren't as you know the acetobacter, which produces vinegar. You yeah. don't have apple, apple cider vinegar. You want to have apple cider. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it's just a touch. I mean, none of it is not. No, it's all it doesn't drinkable. overpower. It's all drinkable, no doubt. Yeah. yeah, so I think we're going to condition and we'll see what happens. But I think, I mean, the time I did it before, I also let them sit on the yeast for a long time. And mm-hmm. I mean, is that how long are you letting yours go through primary? Yeah, about two months yeah, okay. in the primary. And it's about in the mid-60s, upper 60s. Um, but not in a cooler. I mean, it's, it's, in, a, it's in a cellar. So right, it's kind yeah. of it's sort of ambient. It does fluctuate a little bit. And then um, do you condition yours afterward at a cooler temperature sometimes? or um, No, not really. I mean, I've never really experimented with that sort of like a lagering step or something. Like, mm-hmm. I've never really tried that. Uh, but what I, ha- what I have learned recently is that with champagne yeast, they, they, this, this, the yeast sort of acts uh, it acts pretty fast. And um, I think part of the problem or why I'm getting such sour or dry uh, results is that I'm letting it go a little too far. And if I just was, you know, if, if I cut it back by a gravity point or something like that, if I, if I let it, if I stop it a little bit sooner... Um, and either cold crash it or something like that, you know, to just try and slow it down a little bit earlier mm-hmm. on, then I think I might have better results. So you'd have more remaining apple flavor. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and more sweetness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the technique you were talking about earlier? Just heaving. Heaving. Oh, heaving. Is, is a, uh, uh, so the second pressing, when we had our cider pressing party when you guys were there, uh, the press broke, and it's a, it's a wooden basket press. Uh, there's a threaded rod. It comes down through a flange and it and it stripped, okay. and so we had we had uh, no press. Mary tried to stand and, and <laughs> on the press plate <laughs> Pretty and, and gallantly, <laughs> yeah. And fortunately, uh, through Mary, Chris, I met Joy and Jeremy of Proper Cider, who are, who are also in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. They'll be our guests soon as well. Yeah. On, on Cider Part Two, and and they taught me about the the French method of keeping, which is taking the cider off the yeast before it's finished completely so that you do have some sweetness naturally and you do and you have a more balanced cider so you're basically racking the cider into a secondary vessel 
Is I, that what they're it, doing? Yeah, I haven't, yeah. I haven't really looked too far into it. But yeah. And that's so you well, don't have to back sweeten it. And the rest so fermentation. So, so, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Makes sense. So, Ben, tell us. So, the cider that you just poured us, was that, did that have some of the, the tart method? Like oh, the yeah. aging? Yeah. I, I let them sit. I didn't put them on the ground. I, I should say. <laughs> I put them in uh, in these big bushel, uh, sort of galvanized tin baskets and put them outside um, in a garage uh, covered. With, with planks of plywood. I, mean, I didn't want them too exposed, but I, w- I wanted to see, you know, see how it came along. And after about two weeks, they were starting to soft up a little bit. Um, I did chop off anything that was, you know, right. any, any dark marks. Mm-hmm. Any, anything, did you have anything. any problem with fruit flies or anything? Can no, not really. I mean, it, it was, uh, there was enough air getting in for, for some circulation, but it was sure. covered with wood, so there wasn't really anything growing in there. Living uh, in the city, would you advise anybody to go to the market and try just getting a bu- bushel of apples and throw them on their counter or in the b- bottom of a closet and do that? For no, no. No? <laughs> I, think, I don't know. It's, I it's, totally unless you've you right? got a lot of space. I don't well, yeah, know. Well, okay, that would yeah. be true, yeah. But you could probably do that. I mean, especially if you got some really nice, you know, nice fresh apples from the green market, especially if they were organic. You could undoubtedly, I mean, on a small scale level, I think you could do that. Oh, sure, yeah. Just to do some if you were going to do it, yeah, and then you could use like some kind of food processor or something to to, to press them like that. Uh, yeah, that would be pretty interesting. I mean, that's yeah. a good. That's a, okay. This is a good question. What, you know, how much liquid is yielded from an apple, or how many oh, yeah. apples do I need for one ounce of liquid, or, or you know, uh, yeah, a with, pint of liquid? With, right. With the basket press that I had, it was two to two and a half gallons per bushel. <laughs> but with the hydraulic press that Joy and Jeremy brought over, it was around four to f- uh, four and a half. Oh, oh wow, yeah. that's, that's a significant difference. Maybe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And probably if you were doing a food processor at home, it'd be even less than yeah than I mean, the basket press. My so. yield is even lower than Chris's because I don't have that that uh, garbage dis- disposal, mm. which is really which is really key. Um, but yeah, you need a lot of apples to make cider from scratch, and it is and it is a lot of work. I mean, it's it's, it's easier when you have more people doing it, but I sh- shouldn't uh, shouldn't gloss over that fact. It is some manual labor involved. Yeah. But oh. don't be afraid to if you don't have access to a press, don't be afraid to go buy some from nice. You know, the freshest you can get, I think, support your green markets, your your local farmer's markets. Um, don't be afraid to ask the vendors, you know, how do, do they pasteurize? Oh, yeah. How do they do it? Where do they get their apples? What kind of apples are going in there? Definitely don't be afraid to do that. And I think, I mean, Chris and I will update you on our experiments, but we just did them in the gallon jugs. Yeah. So you mm-hmm. don't need to have special um, vessels. And we tasted, so we had five of those. Different we deliberately did that for you. <laughs> we've, so we've been talking about doing it because right. it should be easy. We live in the city; just buy the jug and then just you know use the use. Yeah, you can the ferment right in there. Um, Pro- so don't process be... wise, it's a lot simpler than making beer in a lot of Absolutely. ways. Yeah. It's really and it's much there's much more of it's much less steep of a learning curve. Because, Absolutely, uh, there's fewer variables. I, I can attest to that in uh, for my high school experiment <laughs> spitting in the jug. Oh, man. Don't do that though. <laughs> so thank you for listening. Hope I hope you guys have been inspired to make some cider. I know we're uh, we're not in cider season right now, although I think there still is some fresh cider at the green markets at least in new york um but definitely we will be doing a at least one more cider show before the fall come visit them at brooklyn bruisers meetings uh the first monday of every month at browery lane in greenpoint at 7 p.m at brooklynbruisers.com brooklynbruisers.com yeah. hey do you have any final do's or don'ts as far if people want to go hardcore on cider mm-hmm. mm. do do make cider just, just do, go ma- for do. It. just yeah. do there just do it and, and experiment <laughs> it's fun and delicious yeah. Yep. Thanks for listening to Fomen about it on Heritage Radio <laughs> Network. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.